We're in verse 23 of uh, chapter 15 of Romans. We're about to finish this letter too. We finished Hebrews this morning. And uh, I don't think we're going to get this one finished this evening. Uh, and we certainly aren't going to talk about all these people that Paul mentions in the 16th chapter. But so far in the 15th chapter, uh, Paul has been talking about a, the Christian as a worker. And uh, in chapter 15, verse 1 through 4, you remember last week he talked about the interest of the worker. Who was the weaker brother? That's his interest, is the worker in the church. Uh, his interest is the weaker brother. And then secondly, he talked about, the, in verse 5 and 6, he talked about the mind of the worker. Uh, he has a united mind, and he desires a united mind with his brethren. And then uh, uh, verse 7 through 12, it brings us uh, to our... Uh, he talks about the attitude of the worker. Uh, the attitude of the worker is to receive each other as Christ had received him. That's the way we receive one another. And you remember we talked about the equipment of the worker, uh, verse 13 through 16. Uh, he's been equipped uh, with the, the full fullness of goodness, full of goodness. Uh, and that Paul talked about there, in verse 13 through 16. And He's not only, uh, that's equipment number one, is that he's full of goodness. Equipment number two is that he's filled with all knowledge. And equipment number three is his able to admonish. And uh, then Paul in verse 17 through 21, uh, he talked about the sufficiency of the worker. Uh, he presented the Christian as a worker, then the, fish, fish, the sufficiency of the worker. And then uh, getting down into our study here in verse 22 through 33 uh, to the finish of this chapter, he talks about the motive of the worker. Uh, he talked in verse 22 about the, uh, the motive uh, in difficulties that... Uh, the, man, the worker, the Christian worker encounters, uh, particularly as Paul talks about his motive here. And then in verse 23, he talks about the Christian in regard to service. He said, but now having no more place in these regions and having these many years a longing to come unto you, I'll come. And so he says, the reason I haven't come is the service I'm rendering. He said he was hindered by his service in preaching the gospel. Uh, by other things, too, uh, too, because he will say, Satan hindered me. So he was hindered by uh, other things also. But he recognizes one of the hindrances was his motive in service and then notice his attitude or uh, the Christian the Christian's attitude in goodwill toward God's will in verse 24 he says whatsoever uh, whensoever I go unto Spain uh, for I hope to see you in my journey and be brought on my way thitherward by you, if first in some measure I shall have been uh, satisfied with your company. And so he desired everything to be according to God's will. Uh, there in verse 24, he also deals with the fact of his attitude toward his friends. Not only his attitude toward God's will, but his attitude toward his friends. He desires to be with them and that they will uh, send him uh, forward on his journey. 
He longed to see them, and he hoped to see them, as he said there in verse 24. In verse 25 and 26, he deals with his attitude toward human needs. Uh, maybe Paul's attitude would be better than motives, but we've already dealt with the attitudes. He said, but now I say, I go unto Jerusalem ministering unto the saints. Now, he wanted to go to Rome. Uh, how come he didn't go straight to Rome? Because of his attitude toward human needs. Uh, there was a need for him to remain where he was at. There were some saints that needed to be ministered to, and so his motive, he says in his letter, toward human needs is what kept him from doing what he wanted to do. He wanted to go on to Rome, but it was his motive and his attitude toward human needs that kept him from doing it. In verse 26, he says, For it hath been the good pleasure of Macedonia and Achaia to make certain contributions for the poor among the saints that are in Jerusalem. Then in verse 27, he talked about his attitude towards spiritual debt. He says, Yea, it hath been their good pleasure, and their debtors they are. For if the Gentiles have been made partakers, of their spiritual things, they they owe it to them also to minister unto them in carnal things. And so the Gentiles were what kind of debtors to the Jews? Spiritual debtors. And as the apostle to the Gentiles, as Paul was, therefore Paul was what to the Jews? Spiritual debtors. And so he's going to Jerusalem to pay what? his debt, his spiritual debt. Then notice in verse 28 and 29, his dependence upon God. He says, when therefore I have accomplished this, uh, that is ministering unto them uh, carnal things, and have sealed to them the fruit, I will go on my uh, by you unto Spain. Uh, Verse 29, And I know that when I come unto you, I shall come in the fullness of the blessing of Christ. And so he said, I know I've come with the full blessing of God. Uh, he depends on God to get him to Rome. How did uh, God get Paul to Rome? At government expense. Uh, it's kind of Ironic, but that's the way God planned it. He told him Paul he'd go to Rome. Remember in the book of Acts, Paul desired to go to Rome, and the Lord revealed to him that he's going to Rome. But God sent him by way of government expense. The Roman government paid for it. It didn't cost him a dime. Uh, he didn't have to build tents to pay his way, did he? Uh, he went at government expense to Rome, uh, uh, benefited greatly by Christ. He went to the full uh, in the full blessing of Christ. Then notice his attitude toward prayer in verse 30 uh, through 32. He says, Now I beseech you, brethren, by our Lord Jesus Christ and by the love of the Spirit, that ye strive together with me in your prayers to God for me, that I may be delivered from them that are disobedient in Judea. Uh, he's going back to Jerusalem and he knows he's going to have problems. Now, prophecy had already been manifested uh, to him that he would be bound when he goes back to Jerusalem. And that, uh, he says, my ministration which I have for Jerusalem may be accepted to the saints. So that's his prayer. 
And that's what he asked them to pray in behalf of him. Uh, that I may come unto you in joy through the will of God and together with you to find rest. So there's his great attitude toward prayer. Totally dependent on them uh, helping him in prayer for uh, arri arriving there in peace. And then notice his attitude in verse 33 toward peace. He says, now the God of peace be with you all. And so Paul was a man uh, in difficulty who served God. He was obedient to God's will, who was concerned about his friends, who was involved in revealing, uh, relieving human need, uh, who Paul, uh, who paid his spiritual debts, who was dependent upon God, a man of prayer, a man who wished for all men to have peace, and that's the characteristics. There's good word rather than motives. There are the characteristics of the Christian worker. Now, why is he like that? Because he's been saved by the grace of God, and he knows it. And so there was a picture of the Christian as a worker, uh, the motive of the worker, the sufficiency of the worker, uh, the equipment of the worker, the attitude of the worker, the mind of the worker, uh, the interest of the worker. Uh, all those things Paul dealt with, as we saw last week, and finishing up this week. And now, uh, uh, we come to Paul's conclusion to the book of Romans. Chapter 16 is the conclusion. Five points, and we're not going to spend any time on any of this except for two things uh, in those five points. The third one and the fifth one. Uh, number one, Paul's uh, commandment, uh, co excuse me, his commendation of Phoebe in 16, 1 and 2. He says, I commend you uh, to Phoebe, our sister, which is a servant of the church, which is at Caesarea, that ye receive her in the Lord as becoming, as become a saints, and that ye assist her in whatsoever business she hath need of you, for she hath been a succorer of many, and of myself also. And so, number one, Paul's commendation uh, of Phoebe. Uh, first two verses and number two Paul's greeting to the Romans verse 3 through 16 uh, if we took the time we would see every other time these people are mentioned in the Bible and see some great men and women in those lists of people that Paul lists there that he sends greetings from uh, number three Paul's warning against false teachers in verse 17 through 20 uh, point number four, Paul, Paul's co-workers send greetings in verse 21 through 23. And then last of all, number five, Paul's closing doxology in praise of the gospel of God in verse 25 through 27. That closes out his letter. Somebody says, what happened to verse 24? Well, it's omitted in the American Standard, but just put it up there in point four, Paul's co-workers send greetings. All right, now, we're not going to read a lot of that, but the Bible does teach in 16 1 and 2 that Phoebe was a deaconess in Caesarea because that's what the word servant means in 16 1 a deacon is a servant it actually means serving tables it, they don't have to serve tables necessarily but it speaks of a servant like one who does serve tables she was a woman servant of that church 
and had the qualifications listed uh, that are listed for a woman in 1 Timothy 3. We're not going to go over there, but you might want to look at that. Now, he sends greetings to a lot of people that he met in his travels that are living in Rome in verse 3 through 16. The very first ones is the one that uh, are interesting, uh, really. Some of them are interesting, Priscilla and Aquila, who laid down their lives for his sake. They didn't die, but they came close to it, evidently. And also, there's a fellow named there in verse 5 named uh, Epaphras, who is, Paul said, the faith, uh, the first fruits of the gospel in Asia. And then Paul had some kinsmen there, verse 7, uh, Anarchotus and uh, Julius. Uh, he had some fellow prisoners who at some time had been in prison with him. He mentions those who are of note among the apostles who had been in Christ before he was. And uh, uh, there's just some interesting people in that listing there. If you read it, it just makes some real fabulous thinking if you try to imagine what these fellows had done and such. Uh, that got him in prison. But in verse 7 through 20, here's his third point, his warning against false teachers. And uh, he tells him how discipling, uh, discipline needs to be exercised in the body. He said in verse 7, Now I beseech you, brethren, mark them that are causing the divisions and occasions of stumbling contrary to the doctrine which you receive, you learn and turn away from them mark them and turn away from them now <clears throat> uh, <clears throat> I made a study of that word mark mark them I made a study of that some years ago and I found out that that's not referring to some a physical mark like uh, soldiers used to put on a, uh, a, a soldier that uh, showed cowardice in the face of the enemy. You know, they'd mark him down his back with a yellow stripe. It's not talking about a literal mark. It's talking about taking mental note of these type of people that cause trouble. You take mental note of them. Uh, and you kind of deal with them like Paul talked about dealing in chapter 5 of the uh, first Corinthians of the man who was living with his father's wife you show him a, uh, a resentment over his attitudes and, and his projection of his false teachings now normally they, uh, they want to debate you uh, and we can't debate them. The Bible doesn't tell me to debate them. The Bible tells me to mark them and turn away from them. I get the idea that I'm not to have much to do with them. I'm not to give them the opportunity to air their heresy before people. And that's what happens in a debate. You don't give them that opportunity. Uh, somebody comes in to the church wanting to cause trouble and present doctrines that are not taught in the Bible, uh, you don't debate them. Well, that's the last thing you do. Because you got novices in the congregation. you got different maturity levels. And it'll just cause more strife and more problems. But you mark these people in your mind mentally. It's a mental mark. Paul said, For they, they serve not our Lord Jesus Christ, but their own bellies. You can tell a, a person like that, can't you? You can identify them. They don't serve the Lord. They're not interested in that. They're serving themselves. They're looking for their own glory and what they can get out of it. And by their smooth and fair speech, they beguile the hearts of the innocent. 
You notice those two words, smooth and fair speech? <coughs> so don't give them opportunity to do what? Beguile the hearts of the innocent by speaking. In other words, turn away from them, Paul says. For your obedience is come abroad unto all men. I rejoice therefore over you, but I would have you wise unto that which is good and simple unto that which is evil. So you know God wants us ignorant about some things. He wants us ignorant as possible about evil. You think back of the evil that you know about. You were taught about that. Uh, and you, there's things that you probably, like me, have wished that you never got confronted with. Ugly things about human performances uh, in daily life. And you, you wish that you'd never been influenced by that. And so Paul, that's what Paul's saying here. Now it's not possible to be very ignorant about evil because we've all been extremely evil in the past. But he doesn't want us reading a, a lot about evil. He don't want us studying a lot about evil. Trying to learn a lot about evil. Uh, things about the, the uh, think about the good. Uh, he wants us wise unto the good and simple. The word simple means important, not knowing much. Uh, unto the evil. Verse 20, And the God of peace shall bruise Satan under your feet shortly. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you. And that's why the American Standard takes out that same phrase in verse 24. Now, to my knowledge, this is only the second place that that's mentioned about bruising Satan under your feet. What did uh, Genesis 3.15 prophesy about in the very beginning of the creation? When Adam and Eve sinned, what did God say to the devil in verse 15? I will put enmity between thee and the woman, between thy seed and her seed, and he shall bruise thy head and thou shalt bruise his, uh, his feet. Well, here's a similar statement of our victory over, over Satan. He'll be under your feet shortly. Uh, all right, in verse 21 through 23, he sends greetings to his fellow workers. And then in verse 25 through 27, he closes this epistle with a praise of what he's been discussing. And that is the purpose of the gospel of God. He says it this way, Now to him that is able to establish you according to my gospel, and so God is able to establish people according to what? The gospel. The gospel is an stabilizer, an establisher. It establishes you, first of all, because it's the power of God and salvation, Romans 1.16. It establishes men and women in the family of God. And the preaching of Jesus Christ according to the revelation of the mystery which have been kept in silence throughout time eternal. And so what Paul is uh, revealing unto them here in the book of Romans had not been revealed through time eternal in the Old Testament promise. Uh, from the beginning of time throughout all the Old Testament, it was a mystery. It was not known. It was kept silent. But now, verse 20, but now is manifested. And so a mystery is that which has been hidden, but is now made known. That's what a mystery is in the Bible. It is that which has been hidden, but is now made known. He says, but now is manifested. And by the scripture of the prophets, there's the fulfilled prophecy according to the commandment of the eternal God, is made known. There's the preaching of the gospel. So two things make known the mystery. Fulfilled prophecy 
and the preaching of the gospel. Those two things make known the fullness of the mystery. <coughs> Fulfilled prophecy and the preaching of the gospel makes known the mystery of God. It makes known unto all nations. Now at the time Paul wrote the book, the gospel was made known unto all nations under obedience of faith. Paul testified it was made known unto all nations. In Colossians 1 verse 23, I think it is, Paul said that by the time he wrote that book in A.D. 62, the gospel had been preached to every creature under heaven. And isn't that what the Lord commissioned them to do in Matthew 28, 18-20? Based on His authority, He said, go into all the world. Not part of it, not some of it, every bit of it, all the world. And preach the gospel to some people, every creature, all the world, every creature. And baptize the believers and then you began the process of teaching them to observe all the things that I've commanded you. And then the, the Lord give a, the guarantee that He would be working right with them. And he said, And lo, I'll be with you always, even to the end of the world. So, in our work of faith, the Lord is working with us, isn't He? We saw that this morning. He never leave us nor forsake us so that we can boldly say, The Lord is my helper. Whom or what shall I fear that man shall do unto me? Uh, <clears throat> I like that story about Abraham uh, when he was commanded by God to take Isaac up to sacrifice him because God had told him that through that son all nations of the earth be, he'd, he'd build a nation around that son or from that son. And then God tells him to kill him. Uh, now, <clears throat> first instinct would be to question God, wouldn't it? it? It would be to say, if you were Abraham, it'd be to say, well, why? How can that be that God's going to build a nation out of this only son of mine? Uh, and he wants me to kill him and offer him as a sacrifice. But Abraham reasoned within himself that God was able to raise him from the dead if he wanted him. And so he took the boy up there the next morning and contrary to Cecil B. DeMille's uh, that made a movie about it, he shows Abraham going wild and furious about God's command. No, he didn't. The scripture says he rose early in the morning and saddled his ass and got ready to go. He took the boy and went up on the mountain. And the part that I really liked was the boy asked his father, said, Father, I realize we're going up here to make a sacrifice, but where's the sacrifice? You remember his reply? The only reply he could give, because he didn't know either. He said, God will provide. And sure enough, when he got up there and he got ready to offer his son as God told him, then all of a sudden, the angel stopped his hand and God said, Now I know that you're my servant. You'll do what I say. And, uh, uh, and so, in the thicket was a lamb caught over there and that was a sacrifice. But, he said the Lord will provide. And I'm, uh, just for illustration purposes, let me make this one statement. There's been quite a few times when I've been called to the pulpit, and I won't go into the reasons why. Uh, one, sometimes it was because of sickness of the guy that was supposed to speak and was at, wasn't there, he's in the hospital. And I've been called to the pulpit when I did not have any preparation made for a lesson. And I walked to that pulpit remembering Abraham. 
and saying to myself, the Lord will provide. And it's kind of scary because sometimes the provision isn't there until you're looking at the audience and then it comes to view. You want to remember that. But the Lord is concerned about the church. He's more concerned than you are and more concerned than you ever will be because he died to purchase it. And so he's with you in your endeavors to serve you. Well, I just wanted to mention that. Um, so why was it made known this mystery unto all nations? What was the purpose of making known the gospel to all nations? So that they would believe and obey and therefore be saved. Mark 16, 16. He that believeth and is baptized shall be saved. He that believeth not shall be damned. And so it's made known unto obedience of faith. That's why it was made known for men to obey it uh, out of their belief of it. Now the original language does not have a, a passive case. Greek does not have a passive case. The Greek language uh, states the positive case by stating the genitive case. And uh, that's only interesting to those who are uh, linguistic students. I'm not. I'm just quoting what I've read. Uh, and I don't doubt it at all. But maybe you are interested in, it, in linguistics and their styles. And it might have some interest. That's the only reason I read it to you. Otherwise, forget it. And the preposition that governs the genitive case is the preposition of the word of in that text. So it says the obedience of faith. How does that translate in modern English? Faith's obedience. That's how it translates. The obedience that belongs to faith and faith alone. The obedience that pertains to faith. And so Paul says uh, it's made known that men might, what? Have the faith that obeys. Now does the scriptures have the ability to build that faith in you? In anyone? It certainly does. Uh, John, verse, uh, in John 20, verse 30 and 31. John tells you why he wrote his gospel when he finished out the book. He says, Truly, many other signs did Jesus in the presence of his disciples. It's not written in this book, but these are written. <laughs> I'm sorry, I'm looking at that teddy bear back there. <laughs> but these are written that you might believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God and that believing you might have life in his name. And so God has given us a word of faith that enables us, uh, uh, it makes known, and enables us to uh, obey it based on our belief that uh, is built by the word of God. Uh, so, so, uh, Circumcision doesn't avail them anything or uncircumcision. Uh, but Paul says, but faith working through love. Galatians 5 verse 6. So Paul had said all that that he said in order to make known the mystery so that men might have the faith to obey and therefore be saved. Verse 27, to the only wise God, through Jesus Christ, to whom be the glory forever. Amen. And so the obedience is to whom? It's to God. And it's through whom? It's through Jesus Christ. That's what he says. And Jesus Christ is worthy of what? The glory forever. Amen. So be it. And so Paul closes with a great praise of the gospel of God. And that closes the book of Romans. One more thing.
Isaiah is the Romans of the Old Testament. In regard to John 12, verse 41. These things said Isaiah when he saw God's glory and spake of him. And so Isaiah is clearly the Romans of the Old Testament. And he's talking here about Isaiah the sixth chapter. Uh, uh, These things saith Isaiah when he saw the glory. Remember chapter six of Isaiah, the first six verses? We see a picture there of the glory of God that was shown to Isaiah, and it overwhelmed him. And he cried out, Woe is me, for I am a man of uh, unclean lips. And uh, God took care of that right away, didn't he? He sent an angel down with a, uh, hot coals off the altar and put it on. commanded him to put it on his lips. And that was signified what baptism does for us. It was a cleansing thing. And immediately Isaiah recognizes he's cleansed before God. And God realizes that he understands that by faith. And so God said, Whom shall I send and who will go for me? And Isaiah said, Well, I was a a woeful man uh, with unclean lips, but I've been cleansed. So here, I'll go. He's ready to go now because he's been prepared. And so that verse there in John that I just read, that refers to that incident there and the fact that the gospel had been preached back then also. And Galatians mentions in the third chapter, it mentions the fact that the gospel was preached to Abraham. <laughs> and it says when God told him that through his seed all nations earth be blessed, that was the gospel that was preached to Abraham. In Genesis 3.15, uh, no, 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 no. Genesis 3.15. Genesis 12, verse 3. I'm sorry. Uh, well, now that I got you all confused, and thank goodness we're finished with the book of Romans. <laughs> but there's a lot of names in there. You can look them people up and... and in other places where they're mentioned in the New Testament, I don't see it noteworthy myself. But Paul does talk about those who were imprisoned before he ever obeyed the gospel. And he was imprisoned with some of those men. And if you find that interesting, we'll go for it. Make a study of it. Get your concordance out, look them names up, and see what the rest of the New Testament in different places have to say about them. But there's nothing real significant about it or we would have, uh, we would went into it. Now, I don't know how you feel about our study, but a scholar of the Bible once made this statement that's true. He said, if you get Romans, God gets you. If you understand Romans, God has you the rest of your life. You remember how Paul dealt with it? The large parts of his uh, letter, he starts out introducing his thesis that he will discuss all the way through the book in the first uh, 17 verses. And what's his thesis? The Gospel of Christ. In verse 16 and 17, he said, I'm not ashamed of the gospel. It's the power of God and the salvation. To everyone who believeth, to the Jew first, also to the Greek. For therein, in the gospel, is contained a righteousness from God, and it's enjoyed on the basis of faith, not works. 
And then he quotes the Old Testament. He says even the Old Testament agrees with this and affirms it. He quotes Habakkuk 2, 4. He says, for the just shall live by faith. There never been a man saved by law. Never have. Why did God give the law? Well, we've looked at that many times, haven't we? And in Romans, the third chapter, Paul will tell you why God gave the law. In verse 9, he says very clearly that no flesh was ever justified by law. And then in verse 19 and 20, he tells you that the law was given for three reasons. That every mouth may be stopped. No more debating what's morally right and wrong. Because the law manifested the moral excellence of God. And man never could reach that. And so the law was given that every mouth may be stopped. And in that same verse, verse 19, it says that the whole world may become guilty before God. You can't appreciate God's grace until you uh, feel the guilt of sin and you understand what you're being delivered from. And then in verse 20, it goes ahead with another statement about the reason God gave the law. It says, therefore, by the deeds of the law, by doing the law, there shall no flesh be justified in his sight. For by the law is what? The knowledge of sin. And so it stops every mouth, causes the whole world to become guilty, and it uh, manifests sin and the penalty of sin. And then Paul, uh, after he states his thesis statement that he's going to talk about the gospel, the good news, uh, that contains a righteousness from God, that is a, an imputed righteousness. It's not earned, it's imputed. It's like a recorder, uh, uh, an assayer or a recorder that records you righteous. You didn't do anything to receive that righteousness and you didn't. You Your sins were remitted at Calvary and you obtained that remittance when you were baptized for the remission of sins. And so consequently it's an imputed righteousness. And then Paul, after he explains this to his readers, in chapter 118, he starts out and goes through the middle of chapter 3 talking about the nature of man, that he's a failure. He always has been. History reveals that. He talks about the Gentile, and then he talks about the Jew and how that they're, they, uh, they're in need of the gospel. And by the time you read through uh, the middle of, to the middle of chapter 3, you're wanting to know, well, what can I do about this? The gospel is God's power to save. How do I obey that? And what happened at Calvary that um, established this gospel? And that's chapter 3, the middle of chapter 3 through chapter f- uh, 5. He goes in uh, after the doctrine of sin. He goes into the doctrine of justification. It's by way of a cross. And that cross paid the debt. Verse, uh, chapter 3, verse 26 says, From the very beginning, from Adam's sin to the end of the world, your children and your grandchildren, and as many as the Lord our God shall call. And so he presents the doctrine of sin in the first three chapters. Then he presents beginning in chapter 3 through 5, the doctrine of justification. And then in, in chapter 6, 7, and 8, he presents the profound doctrine of sanctification, the nature of how God sets you apart in service to him, in obedience, and how that you're secure and sealed, because he'll end in chapter 8 with what? Verse 31 through 39. What should we say then? Shall we continue? Uh, uh, since God is for us, 
who or what can be against us? He that spared not his own son, but delivered him up for Saul. How should we not with him also freely give us all things? And he goes into a list of everything that he can think about. And he leaves it open at the end so that we can add anything that we might think he missed that can separate us from the love of God. So we're secure. We've been sanctified and set apart unto God. That's the nature of the church of the living God. And so Paul presents very logically and very analytically the doctrine of sin, the doctrine of justification, and the doctrine of sanctification. And then in chapter 9, 10, and 11, those three chapters, he discussed the Jewish problem. He vindicates God. He gives, presents the doctrine of vindication. Vindicates God. Why? For rejecting the Jews. Remember, he said in the 10th chapter, verse 1, My prayer to God for Israel is that they might be saved. You mean they're not saved? That's exactly what he said. They weren't. They haven't obeyed the gospel. It's God's power to save. He said, For I bear them record to have a zeal for God, but not according to knowledge. For going about to establish their own righteousness, in doing that they have rejected the righteousness of God, which is by faith in Christ Jesus, not by works. The Jew was very proud of his obedient, uh, his obedience in an outward form to the law. And he thought that he was justified that way. No. And there's a lot of legalists today that are like the Jew. That's trying to be justified by their good works. You cannot earn salvation. It is a free gift. Ephesians 2, 8-10 For by grace are you saved through your faith, not your works. Through your faith. And that not of yourselves, it's not of you lest any man should boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus unto good works. And so Christ done the work of salvation. It's free gift. You lay hold on it by humbling yourself under the mighty hand of God. First Peter 5, verse 6. That he may exalt you in due time. Well, I didn't need to get off into that but the book of Romans is a profound book and I don't know whether we've done justice to it and are teaching it or not but you continue to look at the book and see the simplicity and yet the profoundness of its message and yet it's very simple when you look at it in the main points that Paul presents the doctrine of sin the doctrine of justification the doctrine of sanctification uh the vindication of God for rejecting the Jews, and then the, the finish of his epistle, which is just uh, what we've done. Thank you for listening to me. I don't know what we're going to study next. Um, maybe some of you men have something in mind. I don't know. We haven't really uh, talked about it. But we've got an open class on Sunday morning where we were studying Hebrews. We've got an open class now on Sunday evening where we've been studying Romans. And Wednesday night we're right in the middle of 1 Corinthians. So it'll be a while there. <laughs> but uh, and I don't want to uh, I don't know how to say this but I, I don't want to step on anybody's toes uh, there's other men here and I don't want to put you on the spot but uh, if there's men who would like to teach or whatever and have something they want to teach well uh, I'm not the, the guru up here. I'm just another person of this congregation. I want you to understand that. <laughs>
The church does not have rank. It's got some rank people in it, like me. I'll I'll confess to that. But it's it's it has it doesn't have rank, like the denomination world sets up. A preacher is just a fool that opens his mouth once too often and says things that hopefully are true. Uh, so. Uh, Think about it, and maybe you want to talk to me and let me know what the deal is. But I don't mind teaching. It's just that I don't want to thwart anybody that might want to. Is my is my statement. Thank you. Huh? I said, leave that book open. There's a couple things I missed I need to get from you. Oh, I'll all right. Okay. Well, this is chapter 15. I'm planning on getting on in chapter 15. 